Hello everyone, welcome to the KJ Lee Experience. My name is KJ Lee and I'll be your host. The goal of the show is to uncover the valuable life lessons taught throughout sports. We'll be introducing you to some of the highest performing professionals in the world today and we'll have them share their unique experiences about how they use sports to see the bigger picture and we'll explain how you can use sports to win in life. I hope you enjoy. Thank you guys for joining us today. It is the first episode of the KJ Lee Experience. It is September the 18th and we have a very special guest. This guy has been giving me advice since I was 16 years old and not only basketball but life as well. He went from being one of the best basketball players in the country to suffering a career-altering injury and he was forced to change career paths. He was re recently featured on the Ellen DeGeneres show and he is now a motivational speaker, writer, and mentor. I would like to introduce you guys to Malachi Davis. KJ. Kai. Thank you for having me on the show, brother. It's, it's definitely a pleasure. I'm honored um, to, you know, basically be the first guest on this show. I know that you guys are going far, and I know that this is going to be a real big podcast, so I'm excited to, you know, bless the stage. Thank you for joining me. I'm going to get right to it. You are on the Ellen DeGeneres show. How did this happen? <laughs> well, um, it's funny. You know, I've probably told this story a thousand times. You know, that's everybody's question. When they mm -hmm. like, Yo, how did you get on Ellen? But, um... I was actually at work at the time, mm -hmm. and um, to be honest, I wasn't really in a good space where I was working. It was like I was kind of feeling like I could be doing a lot more for myself. So, you know, at this time, my lunch breaks would usually just be me scrolling. I would be bored, mm -hmm. and um, one day, I'm scrolling on Facebook. Yeah. You know, Facebook does the ads, and uh, an ad pops up. It says, I'm the generous show, blah, blah, blah. So I click on it. I see that it says that you can suggest someone to be in the audience on the show. Yeah. So I said, you know, I know my mom loves Ellen. Let me see what I could do. Maybe get her some tickets. That would be a nice trip. Her birthday's coming up. Mm -hmm. So I, um, you know, I go on and I'm a creative writing major. Okay. So writing is my passion. That's what you do. Exactly. So as I start writing, mm -hmm. I just started flowing subconsciously. It's not like I was even really thinking it. I, I guess the topic... You know, my mom, I'm so passionate about it. I yeah. just start writing. I'm flowing, I'm flowing. So by the end of it, I'm like, this is way too long for what they asked for. So yeah. I'm going to actually delete it at that. I'm like, nah, this is too much. My coworker's like, nah, just send it in, bro. I send it in. At this point, I'm like, you know, it could be a scam. I don't know if it's real. Yeah. And, you know, I'm feeling skeptical about it. So what ended up happening was I put the phone down on the charger. Me and my coworker leave to get lunch. Mm -hmm. We may have been going for 25 minutes tops. Okay. I come back. I have a missed call. I'm like, hmm. So I'm like, maybe it's, you know, bill collectors or something like that. Yeah. I don't recognize this number. I call back. Some people from the Ellen show. Wow. They got my letter. They loved it. And that quick. That fast. And I don't know if that's, you know, always the case. But like, yeah, it was like, I guess, fake. Uh -huh. You know, like, like, God, when God is guiding his steps, it's like, whoa, you know? So, yes. Yeah, that fast, and um, I called back, and, and the rest was history. They, they fell in love with me and my family, and, you know, sh shortly later, we won the show. Wow. Yeah. What What was that experience like? They, you, it was in California, yeah. right? So you flew out to California. I flew out to Cali. Yeah. Um, man, listen. It's, you know, there's a cliche saying, and the people say, you know, it's the experience of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. But this literally was the experience of a lifetime. It's something that my family and I will never forget. 
was stamped in history. It was on film. It's something that we'll always be able to do. Everything, every, we yeah. love everything. It's been amazing. Would it be your favorite part if I invited the whole family down right now? So for the first so Alan, birthday. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Alan actually said a joke. You know, she was like, you know, what are you going to do for a second birthday? Yes. It's hard to tell. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> right. I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking now, like, I'm going to have to write in again or something and try to get back on. But, um, yeah, bro, it was, it was beautiful. It just um, it opened my eyes to so many possibilities. Because mm-hmm. prior to that, I didn't think writing would be the thing that takes me far. You know, you hear about people that write books, poetry. And mm-hmm. you usually hear about artsy people struggling. Yes. Like, oh, it's not a, a, a thing you can make a good living off of, the things mm-hmm. of that nature. So to be so well received on such a national platform, you know, people watch out everywhere. I've gotten messages from Africa, Trinidad, Jamaica, all over. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, like this was through my writing. Yeah. So it just really just opened my eyes to a plethora of things. And it's like, wow. You know, God blessed me with this opportunity. And from then on, it's just been full steam. Like, I got to live up to who I am and who I was called to be. Yeah. And that was great to see. I believe that great things happen to great people. And I'm just happy that you guys got to experience that. Thank you, bro. What I want to know is, what, where did, when did you start this motivational speaking? So, it's a funny story. Um, like you said, since you met me, yeah. I, I, I've been doing this, you know, just talking to people, motivating people, uh, sharing my own story to help others in their lives. And, and this is something that came natural, you mm-hmm. know, and I know a lot of people are familiar with the saying, when you enter a job, it should be something that you love doing, even if you didn't get paid for it. Yes. Talking has always been something that I've done prior to it being a job. Mm-hmm. So the transition into making it a job was actually a very easy one because it was something that I love doing anyway. Yeah. I always love helping people. My name, Malachi, is the last book in the Old Testament and it actually, it actually means messenger of God. Wow. So that's another story in itself how I even got that name and stuff like that. But I do feel like my mother named me appropriately, mm-hmm. Malachi, because you know, I do feel like I'm delivering messages to the people and... um my first event that I could say that like really made me take off with it was uh, a friend of mine, Derek Klein. He um, attended Luau with me. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually called me one day and um, asked me to come and speak at the school. Okay. So um, there was an incident that had taken place and, you know, the kids, they were doing like grief counseling and stuff like that. So I came in to speak and I wasn't aware that he was filming me. Mm-hmm. I spoke. The kids, you know, they received everything I said. It was a great reception. And he ends up sending me the video later on. He says, bro, you got to post this. Yeah. 
I'm like, I didn't even know you were filming me. Wow. So I posted on social media. The reception is crazy. It's two, three thousand views, less than a couple hours. And um I at that point wasn't really looking at motivational speaking as something that I would do. Mm-hmm. But the reception was so great. I was like, wow. So that opened your whole mind to it. It, it changed my whole perspective of what this could be. Okay. Like up until that point, I would do it for free. I would go to school sometimes. My mom's a teacher, so I would, you know, go to the Korea day and speak like that. Mm-hmm. But I never looked at the bigger picture. Like, Malachi, you have a gift, and you should be using this on a bigger platform. Wow. After I did that with Derek, it was like, whoa, I could do this. Because so many people had inboxed me inquiring, do you do this? Can you come to my school? Just from you posting Just it. Just from me posting that one video. So from then on, I changed the level of thinking when it came to that. It was like... I need to start really looking in this direction because this is something that I love. Mm-hmm. And if I could turn this into a job, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. And I saw that you recently did a keynote speech. A lot of people don't get the chance to do that in their life. Were you nervous? What was that process like? Listen, it, it, it's it's insane because um, when I was on the Ellis show, People actually used to ask me, like, was that staged? Um, did you know? Because they said, you know, you spoke so well. You didn't stutter. You didn't waver. You were like, it was almost like it was a script given to you. Yes. And um, it wasn't. That was a total surprise. I didn't know I was going to be on the show. I didn't know it was going to happen that way. I didn't know mm-hmm. they were going to call us up. So after that experience and being nervous and, and, and having the ability to switch from sweating profusely to talking clear and nobody would even know how nervous I was. Yeah. I, I said, you know, this is a passion of mine and a gift because if I'm able to just transition like that, this is something I gotta look into. I mean you said you wouldn't be the man you are today without her and why is that? Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people don't realize how hard it is to raise a child with both parents. And then to raise a male being a woman by yourself is extremely difficult. And I can remember days uh my mom getting on the bus and train and it's snowing and we didn't have a car and she would take me to school and go to Brooklyn and go to her job. And, you know, those things just taught me perseverance and how to be a hero because she's my hero. And I just hope that I'm able to be the same type of hero to my daughter that she was to me. What an amazing guy. (laughs) You're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. All right. Speaking thing, it was after Ellen. And, um, you know, I already had experienced that. Mm-hmm. But now I'm talking at Queens College, which is a prestigious college. Yeah. Um, I'm speaking in front of a crowd of 3,000, which wow. is super nerve-wracking. Yeah. <laughs> this is my first gig. Mm-hmm. So it was like, there was a quick transition. So from the time that I'm sitting, anticipating them calling my name, I'm like, <sighs> breathing super hard. I'm sweating. Yeah. And it's funny, it's like, it was kind of similar to when they called me up on Ellen. I went from that to walking up to the stage, and as soon as I grabbed the microphone, all of that disappeared. Really? And I was just able to speak freely and do what I've done my whole life. And that's just, like I said, it's something that's always come natural, Mm -hmm. speaking. And, you know, I think that was like what really started me off, because like, the stuff that I did with Derek was on a smaller scale. 30 kids, you know, school. So that was my comfort zone. I was accustomed to doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I used to do career days. 
this was like the big leagues. Okay. You know what I mean? It's a, it was a blue ribbon school, which is, means it's one of the top schools in the country that I spoke for. And it's a crowd of 3,000. So wow. Like, I couldn't even imagine. Whoa. <laughs> that kind of got me on my way. And, and mm-hmm. that's where like, I could say like, I credit that with like breaking me into really doing the motivation of speaking. Okay. I recently read a book that I believe goes hand in hand with this topic that we're discussing. So the book is by Robert Greene. You right. familiar with him? I am. I'm, yes. I'm definitely familiar with him. He wrote The 48 Laws of Power. If you haven't read it yet, check that out. But the book that I read by him is titled Mastery. And the whole idea of it is to become a master in your craft, you need to put in 10,000 hours, he says. So there's three different phases. First is the apprentice phase, and that's like being an intern, learning as much as you can. Then it's the creative phase. That's when you're first starting to put out your work to the world. And then it's mastery. So once you're a master, you're just taking knowledge from everywhere and you're combining it to your work. So with you, like I said, you've been giving off game since you were young. I was I was 16. That means you were only 19 giving right. off game. Right, right. The creative phase is when you first start putting out your work. That would be like you speaking when Derek asked you to speak. Right. And then now you're giving keynote speeches. So I would say that you're approaching mastery. What I want to do is I want to read this quote from the book and I want to see if see what this quote means to you. Absolutely. Okay. Here we go. The quote says, Many of those who succeed in life have had the experience in their youth of having mastered some skill, a sport or game, a musical instrument, foreign language, and so on. Buried in their minds is the sensation of overcoming their frustrations and entering the cycle of accelerated returns. In moments of doubt in the present, the memory of the past experience rises to the surface. Filled with trust in the process, they trudge on well past the point in which others slow down or quit. So my question to you is, in your youth, was there something a skill, a sport that you mastered that sticks with you today? Absolutely. So, um, as you said earlier, uh, I played basketball. Um, you know, I was one of the top players in the country, uh, highly recruited prospect. Um, you know, I got a scholarship to Long Island Lutheran. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that basketball was something that became second nature to me because uh, I didn't grow up in that household where basketball was stressed or I didn't have, you know, I come from a single parent household. So mm. I grew up with a lot of women. Okay. And the females in my household weren't, you know, sports people. So they wouldn't take me to the park to shoot around. Mm-hmm. A lot of my peers had that. They had brothers, they had their dad that would take them to the park. So they started a lot earlier than I did. Okay. But what I can say is when I did start, I was 10, 11 years old when I, first really started playing yeah so like i you know occasionally i would go to the park there might be kids there shooting around i would do that but on the level of playing like you know on a team i was probably 10 years old mm-hmm. and um i think that because i started so late yeah it was like people already looked at me as being behind okay a lot of the people that i played with you know mm-hmm. what i mean so like i grew up playing against Kyrie, tobias harris Lance Stevenson, like these are some of the best players that ever come out of New York. Yeah. So the level of basketball that a lot of those guys were on, we were starting mm-hmm. light years ahead of me because yeah. I'm new to this. But my first time playing, I did so well, they actually put me two grades above. Okay. And told my mother, no, he has to play up. He can't play with his age group. This was my first time playing. How'd your mom feel about that? She was... I mean, my mom, it's funny. Like, my mom's a dancer. So my mm-hmm. mom, um, she danced for Alvin Ailey since she was 
12 years old, she danced with the adult company. So like wow. she's been involved in so many things as far as like that aspect. So she was kind of familiar with being like a child prodigy, you know what I mean? With yeah. In the dancing world. But basketball was a little different for her because she wasn't really familiar. But she was kind of shocked. Like, whoa, my son is like... That good. That good. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, I've never seen him play. He's never showed any interest with basketball. Mm-hmm. But um, from there, it was like everything came fast. I got raped. Then I ended up going to a middle school um, by the name of George Ryan. And mm-hmm. uh, we went undefeated. Um, I was the first sixth grader to make the team there. Because at that time, you had ninth graders. Like, in the city, it would be like middle school would start six to eight. Yeah. A lot of schools back then had ninth grade. So that's like, imagine you being 10, 11 years old coming in, you're playing against 14 year old. Mm-hmm. So it's a big, you know, even though it doesn't sound that much of a gap. It's that's definitely a different. Discrepancy. You're 14 in high school, you're physically different. So yep. to be a sixth grader playing was like unheard of. Mm-hmm. First sixth grader to play. So as I started hitting these milestones, I started to see that this is something that I'm naturally good at. Mm-hmm. I didn't work at it hard. I didn't spend years perfecting it up until that point. Yes. But when I realized the opportunities that it, my mother never had to pay for sneakers, I always got free sneakers, wow. book bags, clothes, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Going to a prestigious school like Luhau on, on a scholarship, you know, these, these doors that were opening through basketball mm-hmm. made me feel like I had to master it. Okay. Because of the opportunities it presented. Yes. Because as quiet as it's kept, I never loved basketball. A lot of people don't know that about me. Like, they just, oh, he was good, so he had to love it. Yeah. And they think I lost the love when I injured myself and got surgery. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. I never had that passion that a lot of people have for basketball. Okay. I just happened to be good at it. Okay. And basically, what led me to wanting to master it Mm-hmm. was the benefits. My mother didn't have to come out of pocket, which was you when you have a single parent. Yeah. You don't want them to have to spend so much and stuff like that. I'm going to prestigious schools outside of my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So those opportunities that it presented to me made me say, Kyle, you got to master this. So from then on, it became something that I was putting in the work. I was working out. Mm-hmm. I was going to the gym. I was going to the park. I was playing as much as I could. And I think that that routine transferred into life. Okay. And I was able to pick up certain things from that. So when it was something that I was passionate about, like writing, Mm -hmm. I knew what I had to do to be good at it. Got you. You understand? Because in basketball, I knew the work I had to put in. So it's like, if I'm not willing to put that effort or more, because this is something that I love, Mm -hmm. then I'm not doing it right. If you don't mind me asking, when did you get hurt? What was that experience like? Because I did, I did a little bit of research, and Coach Foster told me that when you were in your prime, before you got injured, you were just as good, if not better, than Tobias. Yeah, yeah. So what um, was that injury like? Well, I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Coach Foster, you know, to Tobias is my brother. That's actually my, my, my daughter's godfather, so I'm not going to take nothing away from that. You know, he's an outstanding player. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I was definitely up there with the best of them. Uh, when I played and before my injury, you know, I could, I could jump out the gym. Super athletic. He said you had the IQ as well. IQ was crazy. And then um, I guess I could credit my mom with the, the footwork. She was a dancer, but I had an impeccable footwork. Mm-hmm. So um, 
it was it was difficult because so I got her. I was I was actually playing against one of my my best friends um at the time, Javon Pinkston. He okay. went to Villanova. He was actually the number one freshman in the country. Mm-hmm. We went to Lachlan together. That's why I went my freshman year before I transferred to Luha. Okay. And um, we were playing in this tournament, Dean Street. Mm-hmm. Was like Conrad McCray, one of the biggest high schools, well, going into high school tournaments. Yes. And, you know, us both being big names in, in Brooklyn and, you know, we grew up playing against each other. It was like a big game. And uh, I'll never forget, I had did a move. And when I did the move, someone like dove into my knee, kinda. Yeah. And I immediately knew something was wrong because when I fell, when I would bend my knee, mm-hmm. I could see the bones like protruding out of my skin. Wow. So I was like, Jesus Christ, you know what I mean? And yeah. this is right before high school. So it's like going in, you being a big name, it's like, this is your time, you know, this yeah. is your first year. So, my first initial thought was, please don't let it be anything major. Mm-hmm. So, my mom takes me to get, you know, the first opinion. I just said, listen, you're going to have to get surgery. He said, you tore your meniscus, you chipped cartilage, you had broken fragments floating around in your knee, mm-hmm. you got to get surgery. Wow. So, at that time, I was going to Jerry Powell, yes. you know, one of the top trainers in the country. And, um, Jerry said, listen, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to connect you with a guy. He was the trainer for the Boston Celtics for a year to try to get a second opinion for you. Yeah. Because at that point, it's just you don't want to get surgery because you know how long you might have to be out. Yeah. So it's like, if I could rehab it and not have to sit out, you want to do that. Mm-hmm. So long story short, I go to the guy, and he's honest with me. He said, you can try to rehab it. But by the time you're 20 years old, you'll have arthritis because the fragments that are floating in your knee are going to cut up the tissue. Yeah. And it's not going to protect your knee anymore. Wow. How old were you at the time? I was 14. You were young. I was young. Mm -hmm. So when that happened, it was kind of like, what am I going to do? Because here it is. This is something that I put so much time and effort into traveling. Missing summers, you yeah. know, a lot of people don't realize when you're a child playing on that level, your childhood is kind of stripped for me. Yes. Because when most kids are at the beach with their family at Six Flags in Michigan, you're on the road playing. Yep. You're at Boo Williams in Virginia, you're in North Carolina at Bob Gibbons, yep. you're in Vegas at the Nike Super Summit. So you're kind of omitting your childhood mm-hmm. when you sign on to that life. And it's like that effort and energy and time that you put into it. You're like, I got to reap the reward, the reward and benefit from it. Yes. So at that point, it's like, what am I going to do? So I ended up getting the surgery. And I started to see how people started to act differently toward me. So a lot of people that was calling me every day, sending me shitness of sneakers to my house, they're not calling me anymore. They're not checking up on me. They don't know if I'm going to be the same player that I was afterwards okay and that revealed a different side of basketball yeah who's real who's not and and what it showed me is that this is a business even though you're only 14 years old there are people looking at you as a business opportunity okay how how can i get in with this kid because if he makes it to that level i want to be aligned with him Mm -hmm. you understand and from there on i never looked at it the same because i realized wow 
these are people that I, I put my faith in. I thought they really loved me. Yeah. Not what I could do for them. And then when I saw the difference in, in, in how they acted, mm -hmm. I went, whoa, okay. And it made me step back and reevaluate. At 14 years old, that's a lot to take in. Yeah. I wasn't an adult. So it's like, and a lot of these people I looked at almost as father figures. Like I said, coming from a single parent household. Yeah. So that hurt a little bit. It was like, whoa, that kind of stung. And from there, it was like, like I told you, I didn't love basketball. Yeah. So I didn't put the effort into my rehabbing and the rehabilitation because I didn't love it enough to sacrifice it. And I just looked at it as a way out. Okay. And I've never said this before, but in all honesty, it was like, this is a way where people in my neighborhood will understand me not wanting to play. Wow. Well. But only you knew that. But only I knew that. You know what I mean? Because if I would have just stopped playing at the height of my career, mm -hmm. what are you doing? You yeah. so much pressure. Everybody thinks you're going to make it from your neighborhood. So this was like, all right, they'll understand this more. I got hurt. So I never really put that time and effort in rehab or anything like that to get back to where I was. Because I'm not going to lie and say I couldn't have. Yeah. I could have. But I just didn't have that passion. And then when I seen how people changed, it even it left a bad taste in my mouth even more so now. So it's like, I'm, I'm okay. You didn't want to have nothing to do with that. Right. So Luha just happened to be a blessing. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about transferring from Lachlan and um, some of the other schools that I had been looking at, Christ the King, they really wanted me. This is when Bob Oliva was there. Mm -hmm. uh, Cardoza, Ronda Clario, he wanted me since I was in sixth grade. Um, Rice, Mo Hicks was there at the time. So I had all wow. these schools. But you couldn't play immediately if you transferred from Catholic to Catholic. Okay. Luha, because it's an independent school, I could play right away. Gotcha. I had never heard of Luha. Yeah. Prior to that. They just I'm came from, looking for you. I'm from the city. I, I never heard of Luha. Mm -hmm. What happened was um, I got a call from a guy by the name of Mike Moore. And um, Mike goes, listen, the coach at Luha, Brian Carey at the time, wants to talk to you. So I'm like, okay. So he calls my mother. He's like, listen, we really, we would love to have your son. Please, like, boom, boom, boom. My mother goes for a visit with me. We mm -hmm. see the campus. We see the area. You know, Brookville is beautiful. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's scenic. It's, it's, it's amazing. My mom is like, oh, you're coming here. <laughs> my mother's a teacher, bro. So basketball is never the first thing on her agenda. It's like, you're going to get this education. Okay. That's what's important. So when that opened up, it was like, you're going. And then I think that was probably the best decision I ever made. Wow. Going to Luha. And it's all starting to make sense now. So you going through that injury, I believe right. it made you wiser. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which now makes sense to how you were getting off game to me and some of my other friends. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like at camp back in the day. Right. So the goal of the show is to uncover the valuable life lessons taught through sports. I always knew that you would be somebody, even if, even if it wasn't in basketball. My question to you is, what role did sports play in defining determination to you? Well, a lot of things. I think that um, mostly it was the resilience that I got. And, and, and that plays in the determination because in any journey in life, right, you're going to have bumps, you're going to have obstacles. But if you don't have perseverance and resilience, yes. you won't get there. You won't get to the finish line because those things will deter you from continuing on. Okay. What I learned in basketball, what's funny is it wasn't so much on the court, it was the roadblocks that I had. 
Gotcha. You understand? So getting hurt, seeing the change from being one of the top players to we don't know if you'll ever be the same player again, seeing people change, being doubted, all these things mm-hmm. taught me perseverance in life because it showed me that just because one way doesn't work, there's multiple roads to success. Yeah. There's not only one. So basketball was just one road. There's so many other roles that I could have taken or that I took to get to that finish line. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. So I think that when it comes to determination, I became determined to still be somebody despite basketball. Okay. You understand? So it's like I was a big name in this city and, mm-hmm. st- and still am in the basketball world when I go places. You know how it is. Yeah. People see me. But it was like I'm going to have that same effect without basketball. Okay. I'm still going to be great. I'm not going to allow that to define me. Because I, I've, I've always looked at life as, as th- this. Situations don't define the person. Mm-hmm. How they deal with situations is what defines them. I love that. So it was like, I'm not going to allow this injury to define me. How I bounce back and deal with it and stay determined, that's what's going to define me and write my story. Got you. And it's been blessings ever since. And is this what you are talking to these students about? I talk to the students about a plethora of things. So uh, it kind of depends on what's asked of me. So okay. I um, I was actually asked to speak at Boston University. Um, they had a Latino, basically like a... a I don't want to say a club, but it was like a, a department that they were opening up with for the Latino students. And I was asked to come and speak to them. That speaking engagement was more so me talking about my experience going to a college that was predominantly white. Okay. And, you know, having to adjust and the culture shock of that. So that mm-hmm. was one thing. So you could switch it up. I could switch it up. Because basically <laughs> what it is, 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 is I can speak about anything mm-hmm. that pertains to my life that I've dealt with. And most of the time, there's going to be somebody in that audience that can directly relate to something I say. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell people all the time, you might not hear the most interesting story in the world when you hear my story, Mm -hmm. but you'll hear a relatable story. And as long as you can relate, that'll allow you to know that you can do it too. Got you. Everything that I've done. Got you. So I feel like us athletes or us people that have played sports in the past, I feel like we look at life differently than people that haven't played sports, whether it be the determination that we learn mm-hmm. through the sport, the resilience that we learn. Right. And when people ask me what I mean by this, it's sometimes hard to explain. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a quote from a book from Absolutely. Phil Knight, the creator of Nike. He wrote a book titled Shoe Dog. Okay. This is what Phil Knight said. He said, like it or not, life is a game. Whoever de- denies that truth, whoever simply refuses to play, gets left on the sidelines, and I didn't want that. How, how could people look at life as a game? Well, life is a game, you know what I mean? And, and, and I say that in the sense of you have players, which are human beings. You have coaches, which are people that take you under the wing and, and teach you about life. Mm-hmm. And then you have an ultimate goal. So in, in most games, the goal is to win. Yes. In life, the goal is also to win. It's just a different way. There's a different transition to it. Winning in life is being successful. 
fulfilling up, fulfilling your purpose. Yes. That's how you win in life. And I think that there are so many metaphors that you can pick, compare sports to life. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you a perfect example. One of the biggest things that I learned through basketball was networking. Okay. Right? Right now, I don't think there's anything more important than networking. You can get a job faster networking than having multiple degrees. I agree. I know people with doctorates, masters that are looking for work. And I know people with bachelors, even GEDs, high school diplomas that just knew somebody and have great jobs. So that's taught me the importance of networking. Mm -hmm. But in basketball, you're doing that all the time. You're meeting other players when you travel, the people on your teams. And you're not playing for one team. You might yes. play for your high school team. You might play for more than one AAU team. Yep. So all these people that you meet in life, you form these bonds with. Tobias is still one of my best friends in the whole t- entire world. Mm-hmm. I go to his games. That's 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 my family. We go out to eat when he comes to town. Like I love him to death, but I met him through basketball. Crazy. I would have never met him any other way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's so many people that you come across that... You build bonds. You know, I play with Deion Waiters. I play with Kyrie Irving. I played against Mike Gilchrist. You know, all these people Kimba out. And it's like you create these lifelong bonds because basketball is like a fraternity. Yes. Once you're in this world, it's like you're connected, especially in New York. You know what I mean? So it's like that was a lesson that I didn't even realize at the time. But now in retrospect, I'm like, you know, I'm such a good networker because I did that while I played. You yes. know what I mean? This sport consists of that. Me networking with players, networking with coaches. And it's funny because you don't realize that that's a skill at the time. You just think, oh, I'm just doing what just I do. Just regular. And then when you get older and you realize, wow, this is such an important skill in life. You realize, wow, that was really teaching me an integral skill. Yes. Because now it's like, the transition into networking in the business world is, is easy. that easy because yes. like I've done this my whole life playing. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I definitely agree with, with uh that quote from Phil Knight. I think that um it's 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 a very integral part and I think that everyone should play sports or or push their children to play some type of sport, whatever it may be. Yeah. Chess, basketball, tennis, because it, it builds character. It teaches you lifelong lessons that you'll always have. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's the only time that you get to just naturally network without even knowing it. It's fun. It's like you, you want to network with the kids on your team. You want to network with other kids. You want to know who else is ranked. You want to know this, that, and the third. And I think that those skills that you can apply to life are very important. So you shouldn't measure success in a sport by making it to the pros. Yes, You should measure it by the journey and that journey the things that you learn along the way mm-hmm. that's what's important one thing that i noticed like you said a lot of people that play sports they have a goal of making it to the highest level right the the league everyone wants to go to the Absolutely. league what i realized is people are not taking what they are learning from these sports like right. you said networking they're just doing it naturally so they're taking it for granted absolutely um my question to you is that there's parents out there who don't allow their children to play sports right. because injury or what have right, you. Right. What would you tell these parents? Um, I would say, I don't think, well, I'm first of all, foremost, let me say that 
Um, I'm not telling anybody how they should raise their children or what they should do. But from my personal experience, I think that they're taking away from the development of their children by sheltering them and keeping them away from sports. Um, I think sports on any level is a good thing. You know what I mean? Even when you think of biddies or super, super young. Yeah. That's a great experience to just integrate your kid into society. A lot of children these days are very awkward. They don't know how to be around other kids. They don't they don't know how to play. They're very like, you know, sheltered. And I think that sports break that icebreaker. Yes. When you are forced to play with somebody, you start to open up a little bit. You 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 talk to them. You yes. learn about them more. And I think that as a parent, you would make the transition in the school and the life a lot easier if you allowed for your child to be involved in sports. And like I said, some of the greatest lessons I've learned in my life were through sports, whether it was actually on that court or off the court, but still had something to do with basketball. I agree. So there's one more topic that I want to touch yeah. on. So when you got injured, you said that's when you realized that the sports is a business. Yes. One topic I want to touch on is using sports, not letting sports use you. Absolutely. Um, I think that that's the most important thing that people have to learn from sports because a lot of people don't realize just how valuable they are. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you're a player, you just think, oh, I'm playing. I'm, I'm, but you're the most valuable piece mm -hmm. in the puzzle. People are already looking at you from the age of 12, 11, 10. Yeah. As early. You know, a good almost. It's like it's like like goods. You you you're basically a piece in of a puzzle in their mind that's going to help them further their business, however that be. So, you look at somebody like Zion. Yep. Nike's been looking at him since he was a child. You know what I understand? And He's been looked at as a business piece yeah. since that young. Mm -hmm. Okay, we got to get with this kid. Even sneaker companies, for example, you can't make money, right, mm -hmm. as a collegiate player. But you have these players that come to schools with huge names, and the only reason why they're on ESPN that much or on TV that much or the jerseys are being sold out is because of that player. It's yes. not because of the school. Yes. So they're going to go on and make millions of dollars for this school, for this institution. Mm -hmm. God forbid they blow their knee out, lose the opportunity to play in the league. They've made millions of dollars for this school mm -hmm. and haven't seen it done. That's why these guys are going one and done, getting exactly. out of there as quick as possible. And people don't realize, you know, a lot of people, they're upset about that. A lot of people have negative things to say about that. But you have to realize when you take kids that come from poverty that have dedicated time energy effort into a sport their whole life and they viewed this as their only means yes to get their family out of that neighborhood they don't want to risk getting hurt they don't want to take these risks mm -hmm. because it's like why would i make so much money for an institution that already has money yeah and I'm not seeing a dime of it, risk getting hurt, losing my opportunity to take my family out of this situation mm -hmm. when I could just go overseas and make money. Yeah. Or I can 
be one and done. You understand? So it's like that narrative has to change if they want kids to stay in school longer. There has to be something done to where your scholarship is not the only way they compensate you for all the time, effort, and energy that you're putting into it because we're the only ones not getting paid. And I believe that's being discussed now if if these players should get paid or not. But they've been talking about this for years. Yes. So I'm hoping they could come to a conclusion with that. I think I think I think it's needed because I, I do believe that your education is important. You know, don't get me wrong. Like like I grew up in a household where my mom was a teacher. You know what I mean? My aunt was a teacher. So I know the importance of education and, and I've grown you know, I, I I grew up around that and my mother stressed it, my my aunt stressed it. So I'll never say that that's not an important part or important piece. I also say that you shouldn't put your eggs all in one basket. There should be a backup plan because yeah. basketball isn't forever. Even if you do make it, mm-hmm. it's not forever. It's yeah. not something you could do for the rest of your life. So there should always be a backup plan and something that you have in the back of your mind that, okay, if this doesn't work out or even if it does work out, but after it, I can fall back on this. Yes. But- I think the colleges and institutions need to do a better job in compensating these young kids that come from nothing. You know, it's important. It's an important piece because why should we be the only people left out in that equation and everybody else is... is, is When you're the most important. You're the most important part. All right. I think you hit it right on the head. I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for having me. What do you have coming up? Um, Actually, uh, September 28th, I'm speaking at the Queen Central Library. Um, I'm doing a talk. Can anybody come to this? Anybody can come. This is open to the entire public. Um, Anybody that wants to come can come. Um, I would love to, you know, have anybody there. Kids, adults. It's not just one demographic, one age group. This is for anyone. Mm -hmm. But um, that's September 28th at 2 Mm o'clock at the Queen Central Library on Merrick Boulevard. Uh, After that, I'm going to Worcester, Massachusetts. I'm supposed to be speaking at a college called Becker College. Okay. Um, I'm going there actually to speak. They have this program basically geared towards African-American students. Yeah. And they're just trying to make that institution more diverse. It's always been known as a predominantly white institution. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll be speaking there next month. Uh I got a lot. I got a lot of stuff coming up. Bro. So th- this is bringing you around the country. <laughs> bringing me around the world, bro. I just got a, 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 a inquiry about coming out to California to speak at a school out there. Wow. Uh, Boston University had reached out to me to do something there. So mm-hmm. it's 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 definitely been persistent, and um, it's 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 been a beautiful thing. You know, I'm I'm really flourishing. Yes. And what's the best way for the people to find you? Um, if you want to find me on Facebook, my name is Malachi Davis. Uh, M as in Michael, A-L-A-C-H-I Davis. Um, on Instagram, it's Mal the Motivator. So it's M-A-L underscore the Motivator. Um, and my email, uh, malimal329 at gmail.com. So I could be reached for events. I can be booked through my email, a DM on Instagram. And if you just want to keep up with the things that I'm doing, you could, you know, look on my social media. I'm actually working on a website now, so that should be up shortly. And um, yeah, so any of those ways I could be reached. Catch him while you can. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys for joining us today on the first episode of the KJ Lee Experience. I will see you guys next time. Malachi, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, brother. That was great. Thank you. Appreciate it.